Welcome to Table Radio Season 3. This is our first sermon in our new fall series, Live a Life of Rescue. It was preached by Josh Wilton on Sunday, September 11th. Did you know that the Bible, the longest psalm in the Bible is a love psalm? Did you know that? Psalm 119. It's so long, they have little stanzas that are broken down by every Hebrew letter in the alphabet. 23 little chunks here. Praise to you, O Lord. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Steamy, isn't it? My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And at midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. What is this, written by a lawyer? Who writes love songs like this? And think about it this way. Why would somebody write such a lengthy song about the law with such affection? Secondly, why would it be recorded and kept and preserved in holy scriptures? And third of all, why would it be a regular part of a congregation's worship, which it would have been in Israel? It's here like this because the law answers the question, how do we live? And it answers it in a couple of surprising ways. It's not just about a bunch of commands The answer to the question, how do we live, is in relationship and with responsibility. We're going to see some extra character to this as we go. So why don't you open up to Exodus chapter 19. And I want you to notice the ring of both mystery and relationship throughout the entire story. At the beginning of Genesis 1, there's creation, and humanity is seen as walking in the garden with God. There's an ease to it. And there's some complications in Genesis 3, and it goes down, 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 until what was a very close relationship with humanity in the beginning becomes God visiting Joseph in dreams by the end of Genesis. And at the beginning of Exodus, the name is forgotten. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. It's a very bad situation. One mother has a child. She tries to hide him because he's a Hebrew in Egypt. This was not a good thing. She thought, maybe if I put him in a basket of reeds and hide him, someone will take him and adopt him, which ended up happening. Pharaoh's daughter ended up adopting Moses. Now, eventually, as Moses grows up, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. It says in verse 14 of chapter 1, Moses looked this way and that and seeing no one, He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Sounds like an episode of Sopranos or something. This is dark. I was thinking, like, you actually have to do some digging or peeling away a sand just to make a hole big enough to hide somebody. Now, of course, someone posted it on Twitter. He runs because he's caught, and he's looking after animals as it goes. He's on the west side of the wilderness, away from the city, away from Egypt. 
and he encounters a burning bush. It's a bush with fire, but the bush is not being consumed, so he takes a look. And then he hears it, Moses, Moses, here I am, says this voice. Do not come near. So do you see that? There's, there's a mystery here, and then there's an invitation into relationship. Do not come near, for the place you are standing is holy ground, says this voice. He says, I am the God of your fathers, and I have seen the affliction of my people, and I have come to deliver them from slavery. That's what God says to Moses. This is a name that has been forgotten. And God's great reveal in this mystery is to reveal himself as one who rescues those who are enslaved. It's part of who he is. the central part of who he is in his reveal to Moses. Now, of course, Moses says, well, if they say, this God of our fathers, what is his name? Who shall I say sent me? This voice says, I am that I am, or I will be that I will be. That's a very strange name. I am that I am, or will be that I will be. You cannot define me and put boxes around me. It's deeply mysterious, this name. Tell them, Yahweh sent you, the God of your father. Notice that. God of your father. There's already built-in relationship here, back in Genesis Chapter 12, when he speaks to Abraham and makes a promise to him to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham and his descendants, of which Moses is one. It's a God of relationship, a deep mystery. And then he says, this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. This is Mount Horeb which is another name for Mount Sinai. So from here, Moses goes back to Egypt. There's this epic fight. If you've seen Prince of Egypt, it details the whole thing. It's God versus God, capital G God versus lowercase g God and Pharaoh, who saw himself as a divine agent. And he would not let the Israelites go. And through Moses, there are these 10 curses that come upon Egypt. And eventually, they're able to bust out in climactic fashion. They pass the Red Sea, and they're finally free. There's no one chasing, and now they're in the wilderness. And three months once after they leave Egypt, it's full circle. They're back at that same mountain. One year, 59 chapters, they're at Mount Sinai, at the base of this camp, worshiping the Lord. Chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, God says to the people, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Do you see that? It's so relational. And it's built on God acting first and bringing people to himself. Now, now here's some words. Now, if you obey me fully... And you keep my covenant, which is like an agreement or a contract. Then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That's what he tells Moses to go and share. Do you see this is connected to that original promise to Abraham? That this community, his descendants, would be a blessing to all the nations. They would be priests to the world who would approach God and mediate God, share God's life and blessings with the whole world. But just like with Moses, God is going to say, I want you, I've come to you, but I'm going to set the terms of engagement. You don't just get to approach me the way that you want. So here we go. Verse 16. Oh, he says just prior to this, prepare yourselves. For in three days I will come. And don't go up the mountain. Put a rope around the mountain. I get to set the terms. Now, on the morning of the third day, verse 16, there was thunder. There was lightning. With a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp heard it. They trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. His role as mediator of bringing the people with him to God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. There's that mystery. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace or a chimney. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Think about this scene. This is a very unusual scene. Like this is rare. Even within all of the things in the Old Testament, this one stands out. Because how is a God of all the heavens, a creator of all things, how is that God going to be present in any way with the creation? And there's these deep ambiguities in fire through the angel of the Lord with Moses in a bush. And now it's a mountain and smoke coming up from a chimney engulfing this mountain. And this is the Lord in his mystery, but inviting into relationship. Now, the Lord descended in verse 20 to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, he ascends the mountain, and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way to see the Lord and many of them perish. That's mysterious. So he calls Moses up and then says, go right back down. Tell him, don't come near, don't get too close, or you will die. Moses said to the Lord in verse 22, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. I think he's just trying to get out of going back down. Like you've already said this. I think God is thinking, well, Moses, I know people. He says, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. Because this God of mystery who rescues and engages in relationship, fundamentally, it is an uneven relationship. He is the creator and the rest of us are creation. And this is a test even of trust. Isn't it? 
So Moses went down to the people and told them. So now he's down at the base of the mountain with the rest of the people. And then in verse 1 of chapter 20, and God spoke all these words. And then we get the Ten Commandments, or, or sometimes they're called the Ten Words, or the Decalogue. And he speaks them to him, to them. I used to think that it was Moses, just Moses and God having the conversation. But at this point, he's down at the base of the mountain, and all of the people are hearing God speak these ten words. The mystery of God. The terror, even, of God. But the glory of a God who would rescue and speak and share and clarify. Then, as now, if there is a God, how can we be on God's good side? That's a good question to ask. It's what everyone was wondering, and it seems so murky. So people tried different kinds of sacrifices, different kinds of chants, what to do to make sure God would bless, God or gods would bless fertility and harvest and the rest. And here God speaks, and the mystery, he clarifies. And look, we're going to get into the ten words, the commandments themselves. But for today, let us focus on the approach. Because it's too easy to talk about ethics, about systems, even about laws in that way. No, it's fundamentally about relationship. And all of the laws or the commandments or the wisdom that comes out of that is about how to relate to one another. And should there be the God, as the scriptures tell us, how to relate to God? It's fundamentally about relationship, these laws. And that is why there's different ways of counting the ten. So some people double up on covet. Some people double up on worshiping the Lord and not making, uh, no, not worshiping other gods and then no making of images. And many of the Jews kept the first word, which is not quite a command, but that first word as this, the intro. God spoke all these words beginning with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, before anything else. This is who God is and how he relates to people. Many of us are trying to earn our place with God. Should there be a God? What must I do to be saved? And it might surprise you that right here in the Old Testament, there's a God who delivers people and engages them, even in that deep mystery, and saves them first. And out of that comes the responsibility and the action. His action transforms us. Just, just think about that. Here's their response. We're going to skip through all the ten. When the people, this is verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning, they heard the trumpet, they saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear, and they stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. 
but do not have God to speak to us or we will die. Terrified. And don't lie to me. I know you'd be scared too. A whole mountain trembling, the smoke, the billows, fires, loud voices that everyone can hear. Like this is terrifying. It's disorienting. And Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Don't worry. God has come to test you. So that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Help me make sense of that. Don't be afraid because God has given you his fear that you won't do anything bad. Here, someone else translated it this way and I like it. I think think it's faithful to the text. Do not be afraid. God has given you a taste of himself so that this memory will stick with you to keep you from sinning. Now again, we got to talk about sin just a second. It's not about, oops, I actually made a mistake, and therefore I'm out of relationship with God. Sinning is missing the mark, and the mark is to be in right relationship with God and with other people. And if you go back, if you recall from earlier, what are some of those sins in the commandments? Like, it's generally not good for human relationships to murder people. And that's in there. So why should I be scared or worried or have some reserve if I'm trying to pay someone back and kill their kid the way that they killed mine? The fear that there's a greater power and force who has said, no, that is off limits. That is not fitting with who I am and how I act and how I want my people to be a blessing to the whole world. I love it. You know, here's here's another little side story that helps me make sense of it. I find that myself, and maybe you're like this, you know, sometimes you pray about something, I really want this, God, I really want this, can this happen? Then it happens, and then you quickly move on. You hardly even say thank you, and you're like, oh, that's great. And then we obsess about all the little things, well, some serious things that, that terror us, right? That go against our way. And then we have these massive complaints, and we, but we've forgotten the good stuff. This is sort of God giving this big sense of awe and fear Because he sets the terms of the relationship. There's certainly benefits. But this isn't just like good ideas. This is coming from a force of nature. Well, force above nature. To motivate. To like, no, he is the source of all life. And also, as they experienced as they came through Egypt, he will resist those who resist him. So that's that fear. Before there is clarity, there is mystery. Before there are commands, there is a personal reveal. This is consistent throughout the Bible. And this does not stay stuck in the Old Testament. There's mystery, there's relationship, there's clarity. It is found in Jesus. And we revisit John 1 often because it contains this sort of mystery, but also desire for relationship. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. That's already confusing. That's deeply mysterious. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that that has been made. In him was life, and life was the light of humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is another Mount Sinai moment. But the mountain is not roped off in the same way. And we see in Jesus the very face and kindness of God inviting people to walk with him. And he makes the move to sit with the people on the edges, those sinners, genuine ones, not just like, "Ah, I don't like those people, like genuine people we would all agree are bad. And he sat with them and ate with them. This is the same God, but it's building on and elaborating on the God who rescued Israel. He came to rescue. I've come for the sick, not the healthy, he says. He came to bring clarity. He's a light in the dark. He came into relationship, invites us into relationship. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest for your soul, he says. And he calls us into responsibility. If you love me, follow my commands. It's very consistent. It's the same God, old and new, but amplified. And the ropes are taken down. This is the central theme of the scriptures. I invite you to ponder it. And if you're in need of rescue, take it. And if you've been white knuckling this thing, trying just to do good on your own and make yourself approvable before God, forget it. It's too great a distance. That is a high mountain. Bend low and come to Jesus who receives us in mercy. God, would you write these laws on our hearts and make us a people of love. Help us, Lord, to love all those that you love and all things that you love. And we bless you, God, that even in your mystery, on the mountain and in Jesus Christ, you approach us and call us into your very life. We love you and bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's why we praise you. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by The Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Light up every path, be our strength and be our guide. You guide us